This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the creation account presented in the Bible. Primarily, the Academy offers video and audio courses with downloadable PDF workbooks taught by a team of experienced creation researchers. But members of our exclusive Creation All Access program will also have access to expert interviews and Q&A sessions with creation scientists and apologists, all inside a private Facebook group where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. We're excited to announce that enrollment is now open. The Academy does not officially launch until March 2019, but until then, you can get into Creation All Access for just $7 per month while we're adding new course material. Join today by going to www.creationcourses.com and clicking on Enroll Now. You're listening to The Steve Schramm Show, retrain Christians to become confident and passionate servants of Jesus so that they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Glad you joined us today. Excited to hopefully wrap up um, our series here on how to love God. If you've been following along with us for the past uh few weeks, we have uh, been talking about this subject out of Luke chapter 10. Um, how do we love God? The, how does the Bible uh, say that uh, we should love God? And so we've been talking about that from multiple different angles. We've looked at some good science, some good philosophy. Uh, of course, we've looked at the uh, biblical data on this and um, have really enjoyed this study so far. So what we are going to do is dive right in. Hey, right here, real quick at the top of the show, and I'll remind you again, before we, uh, before our time here is finished, but I would encourage you, uh, if you are new, a new listener to the show, you've never heard the show before. Uh, if you're new to the 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 work that we're doing uh, over at steveschram.com, um, then I would encourage you to visit steveschram.com/defend. Steveschram.com/defend, and when you go there, you are uh, going to have the opportunity to sign up for a free email course that I have put together just for you. You can go there and download it and get started on that. Learning about uh, four of the toughest uh, obstacles that you have to overcome as a defender of Christianity. And we try to help you uh, through those, okay? So I encourage you to go over there. Again, we'll remind you about that at the end of uh, the show today. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's not waste any time. I want to do a very quick review of what we've talked about so far and then dive in to today's um, lesson. It may or may not be a little longer than the other ones in the series, but I'd like to go ahead and get the series wrapped up so we can move on to something else. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, and dive right in. So in the past couple weeks, uh, we talked about um, love, uh, the, the concept of love. This was the first episode of this little series uh, on how to love God. And we, we talked about um, the greatness of God. We talked about who God is. We talked about who we are in relationship to God. And 
Uh, Of course, what I mean by that is the image of God. We talked about how we are made in God's image, and it is because of this fact that we can even love him. We see marvelous similarity between some of the kinds of attributes that God has and the attributes that we have. And of course, it's no accident that we're designed that way. Now, we also uh, talked about what exactly um, the Bible means by the word love in this particular context, and we won't rehash that too much because we've talked about that now uh, in the review of a couple episodes and also uh, at length in the original episode of this series. So, again, I would just encourage you to uh, to go check that out and start there. By the way, the first episode in this series was lesson number 68, Lesson number 68, that was How to Love God, Part 1, and uh, we've since had Part 2 and Part 3, and then this is Part 4, and hopefully we'll close out this uh, little series. So I encourage you to go back to uh, Episode number 68 and jump in there so you can catch up on uh, what you may have missed out on if you have not heard those yet. All right. Uh, and then, so we, we talked about in subsequent um, lessons, we talked about loving God with all of your heart. Remember, we're in Luke t- uh, 10, 23 through 27. And that chapter has this uh, individual talking with Jesus. And th- the individual is a uh, lawyer, a, a mosaic uh, lawyer, if you will. And essentially, they are having this conversation. And Jesus asks this lawyer to repeat his understanding of the greatest commandment of the law. And he does. And Jesus affirms that. And within that uh, understanding, uh, we find this very commonly um, quoted kind of phrase. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, as thy na- and thy neighbor as thyself. And of course, we understand that this is the greatest commandment. Now, we talked about how we accomplish some of these things. In lesson number 69, we, of course, talked about how to uh, love God as it pertains to the heart. We talked about in lesson number uh, 70, how to love God as it pertains to the soul. And um In this episode, we are going to try our best to cover how to love God with all of your strength and all of your mind. So with that review out of the way, and I appreciate you giving me the liberty uh, of a few moments to, uh, to run through that, let's go ahead and dive right in and start talking about these few things. So when we talk about the word strength. Um, We need to understand where strength comes from. Now, I'm not going to dive into a a deep word study here on this word. I think that sometimes word studies are very useful, very helpful. I think that uh, we might be carrying it a little too far, for the context of this lesson anyway, to worry with a, a word study on the word strength. 
So we're not going to do that. However, I do want to uh, just say a few words about it. Strength, uh, whatever strength we have, comes from God. When I think of the word uh, strength, I also uh, want to think about the word power. We think of God as being all powerful. And we get this uh, from scripture. But if you remember from our first um, lesson in this series, we also talked about how being all powerful or omnipotent is one of the attributes of God. And the context here is that we are made in the image of God. We are able to love God in many of the same uh, ways that he, um, that, that are, we are, we're able to love God. Let me rephrase this. We are able to love God in, uh, in ways that match up with attributes that we have that God has also. Now, we have them in a limited capacity, of course. We're not omnipotent, but we're potent, right? We have power. We have strength. And so God basically says that to the extent that we are able to use our power and our strength, we are to use that to love God. But we must remember where it comes from. Um, We are uh, beings we've already discussed. We are um, emotional beings. We are uh, living beings. Uh, we have a soul. We have a spirit, uh, and, and we have a body. Uh, we have this physical body, and it is able to physically enact uh, what it wills to do in the world. And I'm getting pretty granular here, but the, again, the reason for that is I just want you to remember that even the most basic things that you do, no matter what they are, they require you to have been built in a certain way that allows you to exert power and force over and above what the natural order of God's creation uh works out. Uh, And what I mean by that is, if you remember all the way back to Genesis, we were given instruction to subdue the earth. Now, there's a little bit of a debate with respect to origins as to how that word subdue is to be understood. Can it be understood in Genesis as exerting power over creation if it was a very good Creation. In other words, do we need to take that word in some other sense? And I think there's room for that there. Um, however, I think even in a perfect world, uh, I think there's no contradiction, or I don't want to use the word perfect. I don't like the word perfect uh, as it uh, as it relates to the beginning of Genesis, because that's not what God said it was. God said it was very good. So let's get straight on our terms there. Um, and, and there is a difference. Uh, we talk about that a little bit uh, back in the creation and predation series that we did. But I, I want you to think about the fact that even in a very good creation, it would still take power. God uh, would still need to give the creatures who were to be in charge of that creation power over it to be able to enact change 
within it. We don't act even according to our own instinct. We act according to our our will. But even those creatures who do uh, act within the bounds of their instinct, they are still able to um, manipulate things in the natural world uh, that they would not be able to were they not given power from God. Now, I want to quote something from Dr. Kurt Wise here from his book, Faith, Form, and Time. And uh, I think this gives a really uh, awesome insight into the power of God. Remember, I said that strength comes from God. The ability to do anything, to have any kind of effect on the world in which we live, this is an ability that comes uh, from God. Here's what he says. Quote, The second law of thermodynamics suggests that usable energy is lost in every energy transfer. As a result, the amount of energy available in the energy source is always observed to be greater than the amount of energy given away. If the same principle is applied to the origin of the universe, the cause of the universe had more energy than the total amount of energy in all the universe. It also had the ability to transform that energy into a usable form. It thus had the ability to control all the energy of the universe, meaning that it has all power. End quote. So you can see this scientific um, explanation given of what it would look like for a, a creator to have all power. And it, it makes sense, um, doesn't it? Uh, that God asks us to love him with all of our strength. He has given us this uh, attribute of, of power, uh, of the ability to, uh, uh, to exert force, to, uh, to take command over things, to take charge of things. Power to cause and create things even has been given to us. And of course, it is a limited extension of his nature as we've already mentioned. So understanding that strength comes from God. Now remember what we're doing here. I'm just showing you how the ways in which uh, God commanded and Jesus affirmed um, in the New Testament to love him, these different ways that God commanded us to love him, um, are a result of being made in his image. Really, that's the, the connection that I'm trying to to draw here. And we talked about that again extensively in the first uh, lesson of this. But uh, I, I just want to keep that top of your mind. The whole entire reason that we're having this discussion is because I think it is just a, a marvelous, glorious thing that in order for, a, I mean, think of the impossibility, let me put it this way, of a finite being attempting to love an infinite being. I mean, just put it in those simple terms. How how does a finite being even begin to relate to an infinite being, let alone love an infinite being? And it's hard sometimes, uh, as a person who is 
I mean, a Christian and who thinks carefully and very deeply about these things, it's hard for me uh, to think about loving God. I, I have a hard time with that. Um, I, I do, and I'm just I'm just kind of laying it out there for him, just being honest with you. Uh, more and more every day, I I I love him, but there's effort involved. Maybe for you, it's really easy. Uh, for me, it's not. It's not this easy thing to just love God. For me, it's it's very nebulous. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but it just feels kind of like you know, uh, distant. And please, not in the sense that I don't uh, I don't feel God's love. Not in the sense that I think it's impossible to love God. Um, I'm just saying that this is one of those areas that I struggle with that connection to God at that really personal. Deep level. Uh, that is something that I struggle with, and I'm working on it. And I pray for help in that area every single day. But it helps me to know that when I begin to think that it's just impossible, when I when I begin to think that there's just no way to even connect with a being like God, when I begin to think that way, I remind myself that the only reason that it's possible, the only way that it's possible to love God is because He made it possible. Remember, we love Him because He first loved us. But what all is behind that? What does that, what does that mean? Well, in order for Him to love us, first, we had to exist. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means... He had to create us. But in order for us to return the love that he showed for us, would we not have to share some of his attributes in order to um, love something? In other words, unless you have psychological issues, um, and I don't say that in a negative or uh, in a, a bashing kind of way. I mean it in, in the most proper sense I can. I mean, unless, unless there are psychological difficulties th- that you have or that somebody you know has, um, most things, most organisms uh, cannot love something in any meaningful sense that is of a different nature. Uh, we kind of throw the word love around in our culture in a very unfortunate way. Uh, but, uh, for example, we say we love chocolate. Um, but as much as we love chocolate, now, you know, uh, ladies, don't y'all take this further than it, it needs to go here, okay? But uh, we surely we don't say that we love chocolate in the same sense that we say that we love our our husbands, our, our wives, right? Uh, you understand what I'm saying. A, a being who has an entirely different nature from another kind of being, it would be very hard to relate to them at all, let alone to love them. And so what God has done, he has made it possible to love him by giving us um, some of those very same attributes that he has. And I think that's because of necessity. Um, I think that's because uh, in order to love God, we're going to have to share some of those things. And having been made in his image, we have the ability 
to do that. We can return that love because he first loved us and because he created us and he created us to for his glory, of course, but also uh, for us to be in that loving relationship with him. Now, in studying uh, the scriptural use of the word uh, strength here, I did find something interesting. And this is going to be kind of the last thing that we talk about with strength, the last kind of theme, and then we're going to talk about the mind quickly. Um, Now, again, this is not necessarily a word study, but I do want to read some verses to you, and I want you to see if you can pick out the theme. And uh, don't worry, I will share it with you if you can't. All right. Um, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 2 Corinthians 12.9 And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Colossians 1.11 Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Isaiah 40.29 He giveth power to the faint, And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Psalms 31, 24. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Did you get the theme running throughout each and every one of those verses. Indeed, the theme of the scriptural data seems to confirm everything that we've just been talking about. It's only by His power that we have any strength or any power at all. Everything that we have been empowered to do, that we've been empowered to get, through, uh, that we've been empowered to go through, that we've been empowered to help others with and through, every bit of power and strength that we have comes through His empowering us. So not only does He create us and uh, give us attributes which allow us to exert power within the different contexts that we live in. There's not only that, but there's also this uh, sense that God gives us this um, the additional power that we need to make it through some of the most difficult circumstances in our lives as believers. Um, and I just I just get the sense that uh, there is it would be impossible to do the things that uh, a Christian 
must do uh, in terms of living in the world we do without the power of God. I mean, even things like the the death of a loved one. People get through that. Don't get me wrong. They get through that. But can you imagine? I mean, I uh, I, I shudder to think at the at the hopelessness. I mean, the utter despair that you'd go through at the loss uh, of a loved one without the hope of the resurrection. And frankly, uh, I've lost people in my life, some of the closest people in my life, uh, who I don't know that they were a Christian. And I'm thinking very specifically of two people right now uh, who, to be honest with you, I'm not... uh, uh, I'm not very optimistic about. And again, just kind of laying it out, being a little honest with you uh, on this one. Um, a little transparent. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that they made it. And the feeling of despair I have toward those situations um, is so much greater than the um, than the kinds of feeling I have for those in my life who have gone on who I know are with the Lord Jesus right now. And so this is a big deal for me. Uh, and, and and further, I, I believe that I am still empowered and still strengthened to get through even those, even when I begin to reflect on those ones who have um, uh, gone on that I'm not so optimistic about, I still have strength and power and hope uh, in my own eternal destiny, and that that gives me hope. That gives me uh, that gives me satisfaction. And so I think God is really able, through His grace, to uh, to help us get through those circumstances and to manage them and to help others through them as well. As a matter of fact, the apostle, the apostle Paul talks about that in the introduction of one of his letters, um, dealing with the fact that the tribulations and the trials that he has faced enable him and empower him to help other believers who are going through similar things. And so God, I mean, where does that power come from? Well, I think it's obvious that that power comes only through God and only from God. So let's talk then about how to love God with all of your mind. And this will close out the series on how to love God. And uh, before I transition into this, I just want to say thank you again for joining us on this particular series. Uh, If this is the first exposure you have to the podcast, catching us in the middle of a series like this, you know, every now and then we do these these series. Uh, We don't necessarily plan them. Uh, There was a time where we were going to do planned series and uh, that just didn't really work out for me, so I'm allowing that to happen a little bit more spontaneously. So, um, again, these are you'll have one-off episodes that we do, uh, lots of them, and then you'll have some that 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 fit more into a series. So, um, we are going to talk about uh, uh, some distant starlight things coming up in the next couple of weeks, which I'm really um, really excited about. Might even get to it next week if if we can. And so that's going to be really really good. Uh, back to some science topics, and this has been a little bit more heavy on the, the- theology and philosophy side, uh, and even a little bit into the Christian living uh, kind of uh, 
teaching. And so I appreciate you hanging out with me for that and, uh, and, and joining us. All right, so let's talk about how to love God with all of your mind. Now, uh, to be frank, this itself could be a series. I mean, there's there's so much to say. I mean, I'll, I'm thinking right now of all the books that have been written, uh, everything within the topic of apologetics. Um, there has been so much written about this, and there will continue to be so much more written about this. And I think all of that comes to a very interesting point, something that... Um, Many skeptics of Christianity and critics of Christianity simply get wrong from the get-go, and I, I can't understand why. But I think it all leads to one conclusion. Christianity has always been a thoughtful faith. Christianity has always been a thoughtful faith. And when I use that word thoughtful, of course, in this context, what I mean by that is that it's been well thought through. The people who hold to Christianity, historically speaking, over the course of the millennia, the people who have held to Christianity have been deeply concerned thinkers who pondered the deepest questions of life, who were concerned about the evidence, who were not uh, aiming to or desiring to take a, a blind leap of faith in the dark. The history of Christianity is just absolutely filled with those characters and individuals who gave rigorous thought and consideration to their worldview. There are, uh, I remember hearing William Lane Craig one time talk about some of his first um, important trips overseas as a speaker and as a philosopher defending Christian truth claims and, and values. And people looked at him like, like he was some kind of a, you know, unicorn or something just this odd thing because the picture that has been painted is in this day that christians are not thoughtful that christians do not desire to have reasons for the views that they hold um, that christians simply would like to have an insurance policy or a way to feel good when a loved one passes on and so these sorts of things uh, propagated by Marx and Freud and just all sorts of people throughout the years. Now, people like Dawkins, uh, you know, speak in these terms, all the high-profile atheists uh, speak in these terms. Um, and this is what a lot of people, sadly, think that Christianity is. And so when these um, when these students began to experience this um, thoughtful person, and if you know uh, William Lane Craig and you've ever seen any of my reference to his stuff, you know I, I love I love learning from Craig. We disagree um, heavily on some things, and you know that's okay. It's all right to learn from those who you disagree with um, in in certain areas, and it helps you to have better reasons for your disagreement. Uh, I I speak to on a regular basis lots of people that I disagree with. Um, as much as I disagree with Craig um, on some things, I really love to follow um, 
his his stuff. And if you know anything about him, he is just such a thoughtful person. Um, I think most most issues, I would say, I mean, he he studies them almost more thoroughly than anyone I can think of. Uh, and so there there are are a few people. Maybe you can relate to this. There are a few people who, when they disagree with me, uh, I, I I want to say that my my gut reaction is it really causes me to worry. Uh, I don't like with I don't like for really really smart people to disagree with me. Uh, and if you'll be honest with yourself, I think you would probably say the same thing. Now at the same time, there's a strengthening element to that. It helps me to cultivate even better reasons for the way that I do believe, not in the sense of a confirmation bias, but just to look at, at, at what's in front of me and to say, okay, does he have a point here or, or, or is there a, you know, a fly in the ointment, so to speak? Um, is there something that's not working? And so there are a few things like that with Craig that, that, uh, that he and I differ on. Nevertheless, he's so thoughtful. And uh, when I think about somebody like him, and then I think about other um, uh, Christian uh, philosophers and those who have been scientists throughout the years, I think of guys like, you know, uh, Newton and Faraday, and just, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of these extremely thoughtful characters of history who were also Christians. And I think a lot of that has been uh, forgotten because many people do not look past the caricature that is given of Christian belief today. And I have to be honest, there are definitely some cases, and you'd probably agree with this as well, that uh, that there are people who live up to this, who live up to this notion that Christianity is not a thoughtful faith. Um and it's especially these ones who are just nominal Christians. They don't seem to take faith very seriously at all, unless it is benefiting them in some direct way. And I don't want to go off on a tangent on that, but surely without me having to say too much more, you understand what I mean. Uh, there are those who take advantage of um, uh, Christianity and they cast it in a great light when things are going wonderful for them. And then because they don't have that root, because they are not firmly planted in the Word of God, in the study of the Bible, uh, in the Christian worldview, they do not have that root. They're probably not saved at all um, in many cases. They're, as soon as things begin to fall apart, uh, they check out. And I've written about this probably um, more extensively in uh, a, a blog post called The Seed, the Soil, and the Soul. So if you'll check that out, you'll kind of see uh, what, what I mean there. But uh, what I want to, to do is attempt to show you that indeed Christians have a thoughtful faith, and not only that, but they always have. Let me give you a little bit of scripture first, just to show you that the tradition starts in scripture. Um, and I, I, I only have New Testament references here, um, but uh, again, we can find thoughtfulness uh, all the way back through the Old Testament, through the very beginning of the Bible. Um, it is It is a theme that runs throughout. There is great demonstrations of faith that can be found in the Bible. But we must be sure that we uh, that we do not have a faulty understanding of what 
of what faith is. And let me, you know, if if you if I may, I hate to ramble and I don't want to get off topic, but let me give you just one very quick example of a common misconception of faith, uh, and and maybe how um, you can look at it a little bit differently. If you look at Hebrews eleven, of course. You know, that's the great faith chapter, and it talks about all these guys. And one of the things it talks about is Abraham. It talks about um, Abraham's faithfulness and commitment to God. Abraham believed God, you see, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Okay, now, think about this for a minute. Think back to Abraham and some of the things that he did. When... Abraham and Sarah were first told, I guess Abram and Sarai at that point, that they were uh, first going to bear a child. Um, Sarah's like, look, I'm 99 years old. This is not, not going to happen. I'm way past the time where I can be having kids. There was laughter there. Nevertheless, they very quickly begin to take God seriously. And here's my question. In all of these cases where Abraham uh, demonstrated great faith, and I'm just using one example, he never did so without having the evidence. He never did so without having good reasons to trust that God was who he said he was. He had a very direct personal uh, experience of God. Um, of course, I don't have to go into this. You understand that Revelation uh, came differently back in that day. They didn't have a completed Bible like we have today. There were certain signs and certain things that were done in order to confirm that God was who he said he was and did what he said he did and would do what he said he would do. There were these demonstrations that needed to take place in that day. And you understand that Abraham had a direct experience of God. Most people think of the kind of faith that Abraham exhibited as blind, but it was not blind. It was calculated. Now, it was certainly um, monumental faith. I mean, it was mountainous faith. I don't want to downplay that. But it's not as if he did so without an understanding of God, an experience of God, and an understanding of who God was and the kinds of things that he would do. So even all the way back, I mean, as far as we can go into the Old Testament, we see these demonstrations of faith, but it was faith that was taken place um, and enabled to take place because of a direct personal experience of God. Okay, so let's reference just a few scriptures. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, we are to be able to think through things. We uh, do not need to fear 
whatever it may be that comes against us, we do have power to overcome them. We do have uh, a, a mind of love, a mindset of, of love, but we also have a sound mind. We have the ability to, to reason and to think clearly. James 1.8 talks about the double-minded man. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So that is, we're to have clear thoughts. We are to have a uh, a, a, a clear, uh, I don't want to say a one-track mind because that's a little bit of a pejorative way of putting it, but we are to have a mind that is focused on the, uh, on the right things and who is committed to decisions. Philippians 2.5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if that's the only verse we had, I think that would be monumentally helpful, don't you? Uh, to know what kind of mind we're to have. The Bible casts this picture of all knowledge being in Christ. Uh, Within him are hidden all of the treasures of uh, wisdom and knowledge. I believe that's in Colossians uh, chapter 1, I think. Okay, so we are to have this same kind of mind, the kind of mind that was in Christ Jesus to do the things that he did, to, to be like him. And of course, the ultimate goal uh, of our existence is that God transforms us and conforms us into the image of his son, Christ Jesus. Now, I love something that my preacher says. I think that this kind of sums up uh, again, you have to understand the right definitions of these words, but he 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 often says correctly that our uh, our our faith is not based on feelings. Um, if our faith was based on feelings, uh, we would certainly be in trouble uh, because there is times uh, there are times that I just do not feel like a Christian. Um. Now, before you point your bony little finger at me, remember that there's three pointing back at you. Um, surely there are times when you don't feel like a Christian, when you don't feel uh, that you want to respond correctly in certain situations, that you want to have the mind of Christ in every uh, situation. There are these times uh, that um, the devil is attacking you and you don't feel like like you're even saved, like you even know God. And in these times, we take comfort in the fact that we are not saved by feelings, but rather this is what my preacher says, and I love it. Faith in the facts will produce the right feeling. Faith, and we have to have the right understanding of faith, but assuming we do, faith in the facts will produce the right feeling. Now, Mark Twain very famously defined faith as, quote, believing what you know ain't so, end quote. Believing what you know ain't so. Now, you can be sure that all the atheist uh, thought leaders of today most certainly capitalize on that definition of faith. This is what they want everybody to believe faith Yes, and the reason that they want everybody to believe faith is like this is precisely because it's unreasonable. It's ridiculous 
nobody would live their lives, at least no sane person would um, would want to live their lives uh, beholden to something and a slave to something that they could not be reasonably sure was true. And these types of atheists, the big thinkers and, and thought leaders and those who try to build a following especially, want to capitalize on that. They want people to think that Christianity is not reasonable. And of course, this is a, a I mean, a, a satanic um, idea, okay? I mean, if, if, if Satan can can help us to lose our confidence in God, can, can, can do something to, um, to d- discredit the kind of testimony that uh, the Bible offers, then, of course, um, he is succeeding. So the question is, is this what the Bible teaches? Is this the kind of faith the Bible teaches? Well, I think it'd be hard to reconcile the... Um, the demonstrations of evidence we find in the Bible. I think it would be hard to reconcile the biblical disposition of what it means to know things, um, what it means to think about things, and what it means to be a Christian. I think it would be hard to reconcile the biblical position of faith with this definition that Mark Twain and others um, propagate. Rather, Faith in the Bible is the word pistis. Pistis. And when we look at this word, we find in the biblical usage that it means persuasion. Persuasion. I like this word, persuasion. It is a good Bible word. So let's think about it real real quick. Is persuasion merely emotional? Or is it an intellectual process? Is persuasion merely emotional? Or is it an intellectual process? We'll check this out. Persuasion, as we understand it, means to move by argument, entreaty, or expostulation to a belief, position, or course of action. Let me read that definition to you again. Persuasion, the word persuasion means to move by argument, entreaty, or expostulation to a belief, position, or course of action. Thus, um, actually, faith is precisely the opposite of what Twain says. It's placing full trust in assurance in what you do claim to know for potentially other reasons. Now, those reasons may be um, hard evidence. Those reasons may be personal experience of God, or maybe some combination of uh, of the two. Um, so uh, it's it's not necessarily important in what way you claim to know, but that's a little bit different question. Faith is placing your trust in what you claim to know. Faith is being persuaded. Uh, into this understanding of something. Uh, According to the biblical usage, I'm just giving you, faith in the Bible is the word pistis, it means persuasion, and and this is what the word persuasion means, okay? Um, And so, 
it's the complete opposite of what Twain says it is and what others have propagated after him. Now, the word mind, again, we're talking about loving God with all of your mind. And it's the Greek dianoia. Dianoia. Now, here's a great example of the biblical understanding of this word. 1 John 5.20, it says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Now, this word understanding is dianoia, all right? The same word that we get mind from, translated as mind in other areas, okay? Has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, that is an important verse. I'm going to read it again. Remember that the the word mind is the Greek dianoia, and the word in this verse that's translated understanding is this same word. 1 John 5, 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, the faculty of the mind, this is what I think that means, is that which we have been given in order to understand truth. The faculty of the mind is what we have been given in order to understand truth. And what is truth? Well, surely you know the answer to this question biblically. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, if you put all that together... This is an amazing thought. The goal of our mind, according to the Bible, the the goal, uh, it's maybe bad English, not really a good way of saying it, but let's just put it like that. The goal of our mind, or maybe we could say the, the purpose of God giving us a mind, is to understand truth. And since Jesus is truth, God is truth, thus God created us with a mind that we would understand him and know him. That is our purpose. When when we say that our purpose is to know God and make him known, that's what we mean. Our purpose is to know God because the mind was given to us for understanding truth. And he is truth. And of course, we're also to make him known because that is the commandment that we are given. So understand that, that this is what this means, that we have a mind because we're to know God. And I think this gives some, some, pretty, uh, some pretty good evidence that something like Plantinga's formation, uh, building off of Calvin's census um, divinitatis, I think is how you say that, um, is probably a good way of thinking about things. And I've written about that um, um, 
on my blog uh, in a in a post titled "Is the Christian Salvation Experience Unique?" and I'll be sure to to link you to that in the notes. Uh, so I think he's probably right about that. I think that there is a faculty built into our minds that is uh, in a perfect world it is going to know God. Its purpose is to know and understand God. Now, sin has since marred that, but God is able to correct this um, this faculty, to, to repair, in a sense, this faculty. And that's what happens when we get saved, to know and understand God. And I've developed that a lot more fully in that blog post, so I hope you will um, simply check that out. Okay, uh, we're about to wrap up here, but I want to just give you this final thought on this. God essentially is an unembodied mind. So the Bible says that God has thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God is also a spirit. John four twenty four. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, c- contrasting uh, what this popular notion is, I can hardly think of a better way to get to know the God of the universe than to learn how to love him with my mind. I think loving God with all of your mind is probably one of the very deepest ways you can possibly come to know and understand the creator of your soul. Let me give you a quick little bit of review in just a few quick statements and one memorable little line that might help you as you go forward and think about your uh, your calling to love God in these ways. First of all, God has commanded us to love him ultimately with everything that we are, with every attribute of his that God has given us. We are to love him. We do this because God first loved us and because we were created for his glory. 1 John 4.19 and Revelation 4.11 give us those understandings. Now, as a result of that, we've got to keep this, the greatest commandment. Study, right, to learn more about your Creator, that you might learn to love Him more each um, and every day and in each and every way that He has granted us the ability to. I mean, if we have the ability to love God in any area, I want to be able to love Him the best that I can in that area. And I think we should all strive for that. And this as a matter of fact, is the evidence that we love him. John fourteen twenty one says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Here's a quick memorable line I'll give you. And maybe this will help you as you uh, seek to remember this. Just say this to yourself every now and then when you're you're in a moment of despair or when you just want to call out to God, um, when you're feeling a little distant from God, remember this phrase, our greatest love is to God above. 
right? Think about that. Our greatest love is to God above. And if that sounds corny, I'm sorry for that. Uh, But I think it's memorable. Our greatest love is to God above. And hopefully when you say that, you'll remember the things I've taught you throughout this series, that we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and again, with all of our mind. Father God, we love you today and want to say thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you've given us. Lord, as we are in the new year, I pray now, Father, that you would give us the strength, the ability to uh, to learn to love you even more. Father, if it be your will, I pray that you would uh, teach us more about how to love you each and every day this year. And I pray that you would help keep this top of our minds as we attempt to live through this Uh, life that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alrighty. Well, hey, uh, Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Steve Schramm Show. Don't forget to check out the Creation Academy. Go ahead and get signed up for the Creation All Access while it is still only $7. That's www.creationcourses.com. Com. And also, if you're new to the ministry, if you're not familiar with the kinds of things that we do around here, I want to be able to be a blessing and to be a help to you. So I developed a free email course that you can get uh, by going to steveschramcom slash defend. All we need is your first name and your email address, and we can deliver that course right to you. All right. Many blessings. We certainly do love you. And I hope once again, you have a happy new year. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.